0: Hey, friends, welcome to my podcast, Straight Talk with Celine. God's redemption over my life has led to many radical changes in me. One gift God has given me is a hunger for His Word and a passion to share it with you. The Bible tells us all we need to know about God, but it also tells us all we need to know about ourselves, and we fail to open it and learn these great truths. A burden that weighs heavy on me is that many professing Christians don't know their identity in Christ. So join me now as we walk through God's Word and learn who we are in Christ so we can step into all he's called us to be. Welcome back to Straight Talk with Saleem, week seven of this Who is Jesus series. And today we continue our trek through the hard teachings of Jesus. So far, we've journeyed through the Beatitudes. We've tackled the topic of money. We broke down the text from Matthew 7 when Jesus tells us to choose the narrow gate, when Jesus tells us to be a wise builder and man, these episodes so far have been super challenging, but as I have been saying this entire season, my hope is that this causes us to look inward. My hope is that it causes us to self-examine. Remember guys, the Bible instructs us to test ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith and we have to make sure that we grasp all that Jesus said, because his words are the words that we must cling to in this life. His words are the words that we must build our life on because everything else is sinking sand. And so today we jump into the text from John 6, and there's a lot going on here in John 6 that's going to give us some insight into the, really one of the purposes of Jesus's ministry. And I think it's best that that we walk through this in sections because to me, there's one common theme here, and we must get to the heart of that. What does John 6 say about God? What does John 6 say about us? And we aren't going to take this chapter um, line by line, but we're going to bounce around because today is is more about really the point of the chapter, and we want to tie together all the key points in a way that will show us that one point and really challenge our hearts. First, let's just briefly look at the way John 6 is laid out. First, you have the feeding of the 5,000. Second, Jesus slips away from the crowds into the hills by himself. I mean, the disciples, they they go down to the shore to wait for him, but he doesn't show up. So they hop in a boat in Bethsaida and they head over to Capernaum, which is really a short distance across the Sea of Galilee. And as the disciples are are in the boat on the Sea Sea of Galilee, they they experience what the gospels call rough seas. And all of a sudden they see Jesus out there walking on water. I mean, first of all, I can't just really speed past the fact that these guys saw Jesus walking on water. I mean, this must have been truly a a sight to see. And it's the next morning that the crowds that Jesus had fed the day before, they had been looking for Jesus and and they figured that that he had landed on the other side. So they all went out to meet him. So the scene, according to uh, to all the gospel accounts looks like this the crowd show up with their sick family and friends and they're looking to be healed i mean they show up hungry and they're looking to be fed i mean just the day before they witnessed jesus take five loaves and two fish and turn it into enough food to feed literally over a t- over ten thousand people so these people they were amazed and they wanted to be with jesus They wanted to see the miracles. They they wanted the healings. They wanted the power. They wanted to be fed. But based on John 6 and the way it unfolds, it seems that's all they really wanted. It seems they don't really understand who Jesus is. See guys, according to Jesus, he is the bread of life. And the Bible states this over and over and over again. And I think there are many reasons that God created the grain and created the water and the yeast and the the human intelligence to make bread. But the main reason was because when Jesus came onto the scene, he'd be able to use the enjoyment of bread and and the nourishment of bread as an illustration of what it means to believe on him and to be satisfied in him. I mean, guys, the same goes for water. According to John 4.14, it was it was Jesus who said, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the same goes for light, according to John 1.9. It was Jesus who said, I am the light. I am the true light, which gives light to everyone. And I've come into the world. See, here's what we need to understand, friends. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. and I didn't say this, guys. Jesus did. Colossians 1:6 is very clear that every honorable pleasure that we have in the created world was designed by God to give us a faint taste of heaven and to make us hunger for Jesus. So what does this have to do with us and how do we apply this? Well here's the reality: warm, fresh baked bread should send all our senses to Christ as the bread of life. That, that cold cup of fresh water on that hot summer day when we're thirsty should send all of our senses to Christ as the living water. The the light shining that makes God's creation visible and beautiful should send our senses to Christ as the true light of the world. Everything good in this world points to Jesus and should point us to who he is. There is none like Jesus, he alone is worthy of our honor. He alone is worthy of our praise. that there's no other name in the universe. Literally everything we see and touch and taste and hear and smell points to God's glory. everything. And guys, I want to challenge you with something. Start looking for God in everything, because it is absolutely a game changer. because here's the truth. He's everywhere. And, and man, when me and my kids are driving around, I'll ask them, guys, Christian, Boston, wh- where do you see God out there? And we, we take time and we point out all the places that we see God. You'll hear things like, man, I see God in nature. I see God in the, those trees over there. I see God in the grass. I see God in the birds. And I see God in the sky, the sun, the moon, maybe it's their sister. Friends, the creator of all things is Jesus, and there is none like him, and we must, we've got to see him rightly. So, what does all this have to do with the text from today? What, the beginning of John 6, we see Jesus work this miracle with bread. And then, for the rest of this long chapter, starting at, at chapter 6, 16 through 71, Jesus shows the people with some really offensive harsh language that the the miracle he performed, that the feeding of all those people with the bread was all about himself as the bread of God that comes from heaven. And by the time Jesus is done driving these truths home to these crowds, many of his followers, they they abandoned him. And as I mentioned, the crowds, they thinned out, but why? I mean, the crowds were huge. The, The miracles were happening. The healings were taking place. Jesus was feeding all of them. Why why would they abandon him? Well, it was clearly the things that Jesus said. He said some pretty harsh stuff that left the majority stunned, left the majority offended. And I think what we need to do is unpack this text from John 6, 1 through 15, and then really just take a step back and ask ourselves, what happened in this chunk of scripture that unleashed the, the mass abandonment? I mean, what did Jesus say to cause all of these people to just literally get up and leave? Well, the beginning and the end of this section is about the feeding of the 5,000. It shows us both that Jesus is doing more than just feeding them bread and fish and that the people he's feeding are really in no spiritual condition to see or receive what he's actually doing. I mean, we have seen things like this before in the scriptures. I mean, it's all over the gospels. Because we have to understand that what Jesus does is he says something or does something in the natural realm as a way of pointing to the spiritual realm. That's his goal, guys. He wants our eyes on spiritual things. He wants our eyes on heavenly things, on eternal things. And just like it was in his day, people don't get it. But I want to point out some text to show you a few examples of of exactly what I'm talking about. And first, we'll start in John 2.19. This is when Jesus told the religious leaders, destroy this temple and I'm going to raise it up in three days. And what did they say? They said, dude, what, Jesus, what are you talking about? It took 46 years to build this temple and you're going to rebuild it in three days? The second, he told Nicodemus in John 3.4 that he had to be born again if he wanted to enter the kingdom. And how did Nicodemus respond? Very simply hey man, like I want to be reborn, but how do I get back in my mother's womb? And then third, he he told the woman at the well in John 4.10 that he would give her living water. And she said, man, you're sitting here at the hottest day of the year and you don't even have a bucket with you. How are you going to give me water? And what do these three situations have in common? Well, Jesus was using things we see in the natural to point to spiritual truths. I mean, to the religious leaders, he spoke of his resurrection to Nicodemus. He spoke of our hearts being regenerated to the woman at the well. He spoke of life and abundance that he offers that he was the key to our insatiable thirst. What's happening here is Jesus is using natural things, things that we see to point to spiritual things, things he wants us to see. And guess what? It goes over their heads. I mean, completely over their heads. And what the Bible calls this is being dead to spiritual realities. And how much different are we today? Not much. And because of this blindness to spiritual things, we don't see Jesus rightly. We don't understand what ultimate reality is. So therefore we miss out on what God is doing. We miss out on what he's saying, how he's moving. Guys, you see how vital it is to get this? And this very same thing is happening here in the feeding of the 5,000. And the point of John showing us this again and again is to wake us up from being dead. And again, the question that I pose at this point is, are, are we much different today? So notice the first two verses from John 6. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick so notice that a crowd was following him but i want you i want to point out the word because because what what that word is doing is it's pointing out why they were following jesus they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick they were following jesus because of the signs they saw him doing he was healing the sick and they were amazed and they, they desired more of the benefits. I mean, this makes me think back to John two twenty three, where it says, many began to believe in Jesus because of the signs he was doing. Jesus is healing. He, he's, he's walking on water. He's raising the dead. He's turning water into wine. I mean, man, this must have been awesome. I mean, this is entertainment. I mean, Jesus was, was so popular. And to be honest, I, I'm sure this made Jesus feel really good that he had a, a huge following actually I don't actually I know it didn't here's the deal guys Jesus could care less about his rising popularity he he could care less about how big the numbers were why <clears throat> because notice what it says right after John two twenty three, in verse 24 it says Jesus didn't trust them why well because the hearts of man are evil and this goes for every single one of us all of our hearts evil all of humanity's hearts, evil, past, present, future. Guys, Jesus knows the hearts of people. And here's the deal. People want Jesus for what he can do for them. He He is really, truly a genie in, in the bottle for many. A lot of people, they want the kingdom, but they don't, they don't want the king. And Jesus knows this. He was that then and he is that now. And, and that is, guys, that's not who Jesus is. There's a much larger purpose for why Jesus came, an eternal purpose, and we've got to grasp this. So let's jump to the end of the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the last two verses, and we will see this on display. It says, when the people saw the sign, the feeding of the 5,000, that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Guys, Jesus dipped out. And why do you think Jesus would withdraw from the crowds like this? Well, here's what I think. And don't miss this because I would say this is one of the biggest points of episode seven. Jesus left the crowds because the enthusiasm and the excitement that these people had was not for who Jesus really was. Are you seeing this? They were excited for what Jesus could do for them. Not, not for who Jesus was. And this is so important for our day and for our lives. I mean, here's the deal, guys. People can have a great enthusiasm for Jesus. But the question we must ask is, am I excited about the biblical Jesus? Or about the good moral moral teacher? Or the, the miracle worker? Or maybe you use him as one who lines up to, to push your agenda. Or maybe you just paint this picture of Jesus in your head that really backs up your beliefs and, and your motives in life. Or maybe he's just white Jesus. Maybe he's black Jesus. Maybe he's capitalist Jesus. Maybe he's countercultural cool Jesus. Maybe he's white nationalist Jesus. Or, or baby in the manger Jesus. Or maybe he's just shampoo hair model who loves all and tolerates our sinfulness and stands on the mountain with a lamb on his shoulder, Jesus. But no real genuine excitement for the authentic Jesus, the biblical Jesus, who in the end gives gives his life as a ransom for for sinners and is calling all to repentance and faith. I'm talking about the Jesus who demands we die to self and take up our cross and follow him. I'm talking about the Jesus who calls us to enter in by the narrow gate that leads to the hard path of trials, and tribulation, and persecution, where there are few companions. See, see, many aren't enthused by that Jesus. <laughs> that Jesus tests our hearts. That Jesus tests our motives, and then exposes our wretchedness and our selfishness. And here's the harsh reality, friends. If your excitement for Jesus is for a Jesus that doesn't exist, then your excitement is, is no honor to the real Jesus, and he will leave you and he will go into the mountain just like he did the multitudes on this evening. And let me just take a moment to point out where the multitudes went wrong with their expectation of this coming prophet. So we can see, too, what this says about us today. We, we must point out in this, in this text that these people saw that Jesus was the predicted prophet and the long-expected king of Israel. I mean, We see this in John 6.14. When the people saw Jesus do the miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we've been expecting. So it's clear um, that they saw Jesus as this coming king that they had been waiting for. I mean, the scripture that references this prophet is in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, where Moses prophesied to the Israelites. Remember in the wilderness when he said, hey, the Lord, your God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and you shall listen to him. So Jesus was this predicted prophet like Moses. But here's the issue. The people who saw Jesus feed the multitudes on this day, they didn't understand what it meant for him to be this predicted prophet. And how do we know this? When you read on in John 6, we come to this place where Jesus tells them in John 6, 32 through 33. And Jesus says to the multitudes, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So, in other words, Jesus says, when you think of me as as the prophet like Moses, be very, very careful not to draw too close a parallel. I'm I'm like Moses, but I'm I'm much, much more. Because Jesus is the better Moses by leaps and bounds. But Moses was just a foreshadow, he was just a small glimpse. Of the goodness of jesus as was every other legendary person in, in the old testament noah abraham isaac joseph moses isaiah jeremiah david and many many more they were a picture of jesus but jesus is the greater version he is it they just pointed to him they were all legends guys but they just pointed to christ Hey friends, did you know the mission behind Broken and Chosen? I once was lost, but Jesus found me and redeemed my life. And since he saved me, he's been teaching me who I am as his follower. I am chosen, I am part of his holy nation, I am a royal priest, I am his special possession. He called me out of darkness and into his light to be a bold proclaimer of his glory. And if you're in Christ, that's your identity too. So follow us on social media to be reminded of who you are in Christ. And Subscribe to this podcast for a deep dive through God's word to learn who you are in Christ. And check out our apparel in our shop at brokenandchosen.com to wear your identity in Christ. And lastly, if Broken and Chosen is blessing you, would you do us a favor? Would you leave us a review and also tell a friend about us? So back to the point of why we're, we're looking deeper into this. We, we really, we need to understand what Jesus is saying to the crowds. And what he's saying is this. Do you think Moses gave you this bread? I mean, do you think Moses gave you the manna from heaven? No, it was God who gave it. And I just gave you bread out of nowhere. And I'm giving you miracle bread out of five barley loaves. I am multiplying the manna, so to speak, the way God did. So understand, guys, I'm not just another prophet. I'm I'm not just another Moses. I'm like him, but I'm much greater I created Moses and I created the bread and I don't give the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And here's the issue, people. You all see my power, but you don't yet see the glory of how this power is going to be used. You all don't know me or who I am or what I've come to do. Guys, this is what Jesus is saying to the multitudes. And this is what he's saying to us. So what is it that the multitudes don't see? What is it that causes them to stumble over this? Well, we jump ahead to John 6, 51, and we see the clearest statement that answers this question. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And based on this, th- there are three things they don't see. And I am going to point those out. First, they don't see that Jesus is going to use his power Not to triumph over the the Romans, but to triumph over the sins of humanity. Second, they don't see uh, that Jesus is their food. He's saying, it is me, not my gifts that your soul needs. Lastly, they don't see the connection between the two. I mean, the way Jesus becomes food for everlasting satisfaction of sinners is by laying down his life. He says it, the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh by giving up my life so that you may live. I mean, the people call Jesus a prophet and he is, but but not the way they think he is. They're They're not seeing him. And what about the king the masses tried to force him to be? What was that all about? I mean, is Jesus not a king? Yeah, yeah, of course Jesus is a king. He is the king of all kings, but not the king they pictured. Remember when when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate in John 18, 33? Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And look at what Jesus said to him. Hey, 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 Pontius, um, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would have been fighting that I would not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom, it's not of this world. In other words, yes, I am king, but not the way you think I am. Guys, when Jesus says this, he doesn't mean that this world doesn't belong to him. He, he, he doesn't mean that he's not in charge. The world does belong to him and he is in charge. Guys, he made the world and he's coming again to claim it. But what he means here is, I've come into this world the first time to rule um, men's lives, not by being their military leader, but by being their bread. I've come to, to satisfy their souls, not to subdue military powerhouses. Not not to bring temporal comforts. I am going to conquer this place, not with the power of armed forces, but with the power of radically new appetites. Humans don't need to be saved from governmental oppression. They they need to be saved from their sin. And I've come to change that. I've come to change hearts. Guys, that's what Jesus came for. See, Jesus wasn't the king that they thought he was. And we see this in our text today. Again, look at John 6 26. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. This is why they wanted to make Jesus their king. To have him as king meant he would be their miracle worker, to have him as king would mean he'd he'd fill their stomachs. They hadn't been changed. Guys, Jesus did not come into this world to lend his power to fulfill our desires and our temporal comforts, our our temporal appetites. This is a major mistake that we see with the infectious, dangerous prosperity gospel, which leaves people untransformed in what they crave and simply add the power of Jesus as a way to get it. Guys, that's not the gospel. It's the kind of message and crowd that Jesus withdraws from. Guys, he walks away from this. Jesus did not come to serve our unregenerate appetites. He came to give us new appetites, new desires, new cravings. I mean, this is the meaning of being born again. And this is what the gospel of John is all about. Jesus came and showed compassion on us. And the Lord has compassion for us, friends, and he he invites us in. I mean, look at Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. It shows us. Listen to this. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Guys, this is exactly the same message that Jesus is driving home in John 6. He's basically saying, guys, your priorities are off. You desire the world. You desire temporal things when I offer life in abundance that you desperately need. Jesus says, eat of the bread of life. Drink from the fountain of living water. Stop spending your life pursuing that which is not satisfying. Pursue me. Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. This is what leads to eternal life. And what do the people say? They respond to this hard saying by grumbling and and complaining, just like their ancestors did in the wilderness. And in their grumbling, they stumble over this hard saying. They don't get it. You see, this is because the complainers and grumblers say this in John 6, 42. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? I mean, we know his mom and dad. How how can this, how can Joseph's son be the heavenly bread? And how does Jesus respond? Well, Jesus answers them by doubling down on his identity. He says, no one comes to the father unless the father draws them to me. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, they will live forever. And the bread I give is my flesh. So after hearing this, they go from complaining and grumbling to arguing. Now they begin to dispute among themselves. They ask, how can this man, Joseph's son, give us flesh to eat? What what are we, cannibals? I mean, to this, Jesus says, do this or you will perish. I mean, this was a very point-blank statement. And this this was offensive. And it's really still offensive today. Why? Well, because it involves us dying to our desires. It involves us abandoning our pursuits for Jesus. I mean, Jesus was not talking about literal flesh and blood. He was saying that his life had to become their own. And because they didn't rightly see him for who he was and didn't have eyes and ears to see and hear this message, the masses deserted Jesus in John 6, 66. Literally there was like a mass exodus. Imagine being in church and the message being so offensive that 90% of the church just gets up and leaves. I mean, have you ever seen this? No, we haven't seen this because in our culture, pastors wouldn't dare offend. Most pastors don't want to touch subjects that would cause friction. I mean, that's not good for business. So what we have is a a dumbed down version, um, a watered down version of the gummy bear gospel. And guys, I just want to point out, this does nothing for humanity but deceive. I mean, there truly is the bold few that are willing to preach the hard truths in the Bible. And what you see in their churches is authentic discipleship. You see biblical community. You see the Great Commission being fulfilled. You see obedience to Christ. Guys, this is true church according to the scriptures. Numbers don't matter. The size of the church doesn't matter. The amount of conversions and baptisms, that does not matter. What matters is an authentic life in Christ in the way Christ said it should be. That's how we measure success in the church. And so at this point, a huge number of Jesus' disciples, they turn back and they stop following him. And it seems Jesus' popularity was fading. See, Jesus is getting closer to the cross and his identity is being revealed. And in this moment, Jesus turns to the 12 and says, hey, do you, do you want to go as well? Are you, you guys going to lead too? And we know Peter steps up and he speaks for the disciples. He says, Lord, where are we going to go? You are the Christ. You have the words of eternal life. And th- this is where the entire conversation in John 6 has really been leading. I mean, all along Jesus has known that there were many seeking him in order to get stuff. And then there are the few who want Jesus for who he is. And these hard sayings and, and hard teachings of Jesus, they were designed for a purpose. And that purpose? Well, to reveal the genuine from the fake. I mean, to the genuine believers, his teachings and words, they're the key to life. To the fake. They are a barrier to belief. I mean, it was Jesus who said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I mean, it was Jesus who said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the the son of God and, and those who hear him will live. So what is that exactly is Jesus saying here? Those who hear his voice, those who genuinely follow him, that those who pass from death to life, Jesus is saying, hey, I have the words of life. And though it may be difficult, they may be hard to grasp. They may be hard to digest, but you must hear them and obey them. And this has absolutely nothing to do with what I can do for you from a temporal standpoint. But more about the eternal. My words lead to eternal life. And in a deeper sense, Jesus' hard sayings and teachings, they're invitations. I mean, they're inviting us to see past the gifts, past the healings, past the miracles, to see what? To see Jesus himself. Guys, he is the gift. He is the all satisfying treasure. And the question that we really need to ask ourselves is this do we only want Jesus for what he can give us? Or do we want him? As we're called to digest what he says in a way that shows his worth, that shows his value. And not only that, but also for us to recognize that we're starving and he alone is the bread of life that satisfies. We're thirsty. And he alone is the fountain of living water. That satisfies. Guys, Jesus satisfies our insatiable hunger and thirst. That satisfaction that we we spend our lives chasing, that is only fulfilled and can only be fulfilled by the one who created you. Guys, that that satisfaction only comes uh, by eating and drinking on Jesus. Look, guys, Jesus didn't come to defeat The Roman superpower. He didn't come to feed the 5,000. He didn't come to just heal physical ailments. All of those things, they were done in the physical to point to spiritual truths. And that spiritual truth is that we need new hearts. We need to be made whole. We need reconciliation. And the only way this is happening is through Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. Guys, and the masses missed it. Just like the masses miss it today. And how do we miss him today well we're not much different than the multitudes we want jesus for what he can do for us in the temporal sense we want jesus for what he can do for us on this earth we want our bellies filled we want comfort we want success we want all the things but jesus is saying hey my mission is not about that it's about reconciling the lost and dying world to myself and i've started a movement and I'm going to finish that mission. And if you're going to be a part of it, you need to get out of your own head what I can do for you and go serve as I've showed you. Are you seeing this, guys? My friends, this is all for this week's episode of Straight Talk with Celine. Come back next week as we continue our journey through the hard teachings of Jesus. Next week, we're going to jump into more hard teachings of Jesus. Guys, Jesus said some really tough things at the end of Luke 9. Yes, we are going to tackle what it the cost of following Jesus. Guys, we need to continue to be asking ourselves the question, what does this story of God mean to us and what does it mean for us? Who are we in light of God? Friends, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you're following him, the Bible proclaims the following you are chosen. You are a royal priest. You are part of a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. You have been called out of darkness and into light. You've been called out of the grave. And you've been called to be a bold proclaimer of his glory. Do you know this? Are you living this? If you are, great. If you're not, man, it's okay. Most are not. But come back next week Because the point of this podcast is to walk this journey together. And I'm currently learning myself, but together we will learn our identity in Christ and we will step into it. My friends, thank you for joining me on this episode of Straight Talk with Celine. I hope our time together has helped you take a small step towards living out the fullness of who you've been called to be. If this episode encouraged and edified you, Please take a moment and think of that person that needs to hear this and do me a favor and share it. Jesus has called us to be ambassadors. Let us never forget that the mission is to know Jesus and to make him known. I love you all with the love of Christ. Until next time, take care.